0: if i let you change me will that do it if i do what you tell me will you love me Hello and welcome to episode 106 of Ribbon of Memes, a podcast where we interrogate films previously described by other people who like to live in the past as masterpieces. Um, I am Nick, the slightly disturbed, acrophobic detective of this podcast, and I am joined as ever by Roger,
1: the underwear designer. (laughs)
0: <laughs> she's the best um, we'll, we'll come on to our underwear designer um, as we discuss our first um, and probably not our last Hitchcock film on Ribbon of Memes hmm hmm this is supposedly uh, depending on who you talk to Hitchcock's greatest film this is 1958 Vertigo
1: hmm this mm. was the first Hitchcock I had seen.
0: Yes. Now we've been talking. We've been talking about Hitchcock for a while, and I suggested Vertigo. Um, I am a big fan of Hitchcock. Uh, we'll talk about how I feel about Vertigo, but I have other films I prefer of his. Um, it's, a, it's an unusual one, Vertigo.
1: Yeah. Um, <laughs> there, there are bits that I thought were great. There are bits that I thought were. Frankly thin. We'll 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 come on to it. Um, Let's talk. So this is our, is that
0: this our first Jimmy Stewart um, film?
1: Believe so. Yeah. And mm, I I don't. I'm not sure. I've actually seen him in anything before. He he looks just a bit weird. I mean, 50s film <laughs> stars, male film stars in particular, tend to look to my current eye a bit weird. In that area, presumably because very... the. Yeah, they, they, they are allowed to be distinctive rather than homogenised the way they are now. And a lot of them just did look a bit strange because that way you could recognise them even when they were in standard male attire and haircut and all the rest of it.
0: And his strange appearance is very much um, uh, tall and thin and very kind of distinctive... Um silhouette almost a way of moving um and his his drawl is a merry christmas bedford falls kind of uh <laughs> talking um i am a big fan of james Stewart because i like uh a lot of frank capra as well i like i love um mr smith goes to washington and um it's a wonderful life um i love um a rear window which we may talk about some other time mm-hmm. um but uh um so uh, and here he is i mean he was the every man of his day my dad absolutely hates james stewart he can't watch him for for a second and he he always complains not incorrectly i think that he always plays the same character um <laughs> and that's uh, you know we've talked about that that's a movie star i suppose as opposed to a, a good actor very occasionally you get movie stars who are good actors um I'm not sure James Stewart is one of them, <laughs> but we may we may see how we feel about this in later films if we if we watch any more James Stewart. But there's something about him that really clicks with me. So it's interesting you say how weird he looks because mm. to me, I suppose I'm used to him, so he just looks like James Stewart to me. But it's interesting, is it the the tallness or the thinness, or is it his face? There's or... something
1: about his face that just reg- registers as this
0: guy looks a bit weird. Yeah Which, okay you know, it's is
1: my problem more than his.
0: <laughs> my dad has similar feelings. I don't think you're on your own about this with James Stewart. Uh, but I uh for me as I think a lot of the audience of the day I'm dro- if a film has James Stewart and then you feel he's going to be a kind of a Henry Fonda kind of Tom Hanks kind of character actor well not character actor but a, he's going to be the dependable likable everyman of the film mm. usually and that gets played on here probably more than he ever did in any other film he did
1: yeah um, let, 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 let's not forget um that uh this, this is james stewart who uh flew b24s over
0: germany genuine war hero james stewart i mean he, he was um uh, he got a um, did he get a congressional i don't think he got the congressional medal of honor right? no I, getting, I, um, I i
1: don't think he did you know amazing war stuff
0: um, but he was he signed up he, he as was an active was service possible, pilot, like, and he didn 't have to be so he did not uh, dodge the draft um, and he was apparently very well liked by his his crew um, but we 're not here to judge his moral character um because um uh, we wouldn 't talk about some some films if we were doing that anyway here um, he 's a cop here he 's a cop, and we have this opening scene of him um, chasing someone over the rooftops with a a, a a uniformed policeman. He chips falls over, dangles from um, a drain pipe over a precipitous drop um, and he 's going to be helped by the uniformed policeman who then falls to his death behind him
1: yeah now it 's interesting i i 've read a few synopses of the plot uh, since I watched this, and a lot of them say that um the the um policeman falling to his death is his fault. Uh and I uh, mean in in the sense that if he hadn't if he hadn't been dangling then the policeman wouldn't have turned back to help him sure yes. but the policeman also you know failed failed to follow the basic rule of make sure you're secure before you rescue somebody else. So
0: I, I would agree. I mean, it's hardly James Stewart's fault. I mean, he. Had an I'm not saying you should feel good
1: about it, but you know, it, it's no. not. Oh, it is your all your fault that
0: this man is dead. No, it's like this turned into tragedy, into a real tragedy. Um, you need. I mean, it's never explained how he gets off the roof again there, um, but yeah. presumably helps himself up. Um, but it's it, apparently this sets up. Um, Well, the problem, one of the problems with vertigo is it made everyone think that vertigo means fear of heights, which it doesn't, and I thought the film got them mixed up, but it it doesn't. Uh, It it talks about his acrophobia, um, which is the correct term for fear of heights, and vertigo is just a symptom of it, Um, but they're two distinct situations, you could certainly have one without the other, Um, and vertigo is actually more of a medical condition for the most part no um, I mean yeah. it, it, it can be psychologically based but yeah as, as
1: I understand it, it it is basically um one of the things that produces is the semicircular canal's not working so you, you yes you know your, your head is telling you that things are spinning
0: but your eyes are telling but you you're yeah it basically produces motion sickness in people who aren't in motion um uh, I've had it once, actually, it's a really thoroughly unpleasant <laughs> situation. Um, but uh, you know, he,
1: he, he 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 is in a position where, well, I mean, first of all, he feels he cannot do the detective job. Uh, yes. I mean, yes, he could sit in an office and push paper, um, but uh, you know, if if he went out into the field, then all of a sudden he might have to chase somebody up a staircase, and that ain't going to happen. And that's, yeah, uh, uh,
0: it feels like it's setting up for a pretty obvious giggle. Though to be honest, it's so little played upon that by the time it, by the time it happens in the film, uh, it just feels a bit like a, a, a gimmick that this, oh look, this guy can't go upstairs. This well, is a character. Well, it's
1: 1958 and the conversation about mental health, particularly a man admitting that he has a mental health problem is not, um, well, it's barely a conversation.
0: So we do see that the level of, you know, 50s psychology, which is basically, um, uh, I'm afraid this man has suffered a shock and it's going to take him 12 months to get out of it. But, you know, that kind of level mm-hmm. of um, uh, mental health uh, provision. And also, I have slight issues with the fact that, OK, you might be nervous about heights after that, but you don't develop a, This isn't called a Cthulhu. Um, you don't develop phobias in that way. Usually you become aversive to things. But it, it that's normally how not a phobias phobia is developed as far as i'm aware but mm. i am no um, uh, mental health expert anyway he is we learn he's independently wealthy so he doesn't have to do anything at all and that seems to be what he's planning to do we help- yeah though
1: i i think um that this isn't just a 50s manliness thing i think he he's genuinely feeling kind of useless if, you know, all yeah. He, all yeah. he's got to do is sit sit there and drink scotch and soda until he runs out of money which he's not going to do <laughs>
0: <laughs> that's right this is um uh scotty is his name as he's referred to a lot of the film and we we discover this because he's talking to uh the awesome best character in the film midge yeah. <laughs> um as uh played by barbara bell geddes geddes, mm, geddes. geddes i think geddes um and we can tell she's not a romantic interest because this is a 50s film and she's wearing glasses. And uh, she doesn't yeah. have them taken off her at some point. Exactly. And at no point. In another film, these might have been, why, you're gorgeous when you're not wearing your glasses. As someone who wears glasses... <laughs> mm-hmm. I always notice that I I'm still resentful that the character who wears glasses in *Predator* is one of the first to get killed. Um it's just it's a mark of this is not an action hero this is not a romantic um, possibility. This is someone who is uh it's kind of ableist. I, I don't want <laughs> to get too We're, we're going to come it. back to her anyway, but yes, but it's it's a, mark, a very early and quite lazy mark of and Hitchcock is all about the um very obvious flagging things up um i mean he's very good at playing with them and and giving more layers to them but i do resent the fact that oh we know he's never going to get with her she wears glasses and that is exactly pretty much the story
1: and i the impression i got was that those early scenes are supposed to get me feeling that scotty is a good guy and i care about what happens to him and maybe it's just my reaction to 50s masculinity and, and st- the standard way of doing that but i yes. really didn't i just don't okay. like the guy um yeah, here here is this gorgeous woman who is actually interested in in your mental health yes <laughs> and yeah yeah she's wearing glasses how terrible and and you know you you're just assuming that she is there for your convenience when you want her and, and you drop her when she isn't
0: he is particularly uh, unpleasant in a very as you say 50s thoughtless way it's it is quite standard kind of
1: well that, that's the thing i th- i think to a contemporary audience that might well have ju- just have shown oh well you know he's a
0: strong and man and blah 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 yeah. the kind of dialogue they have is very hitchcockian um In a way, you know, that kind of badinage that they have that's vaguely... It reminds me a bit of, like, a 50s version of Joss Whedon's kind of dialogue, where it's all slight snappy and quite... Nothing stands up
1: to the Thin Man series for me, but...
0: (laughs) Okay, but it's very... We're we're going to have
1: to do at least the first one of those one day. It just
0: always feels to me that every every other snappy dialogue film is copying that. Okay, we... uh, It's a deal. We'll definitely give it a go. Um, But this dialogue, it's very like, for instance... Um, James Stewart's character in Rear Window bouncing um, bouncing uh, witticisms off Grace Kelly and again a similar sort of situation you know you've got Grace Kelly in the room um, uh, but he's very kind of unmoved and dismissive of her and more obsessed with something else which again Hmm. is another Hitchcockian thing.
1: Well also certainly in these two cases we've got somebody who's basically a man of action or is at least used to enjoying full health who has suddenly had a chunk of that taken away from him.
0: Yes, that again, that seems to be a Hitchcock motif. That's a good point. He's, ne- he's a wounded action hero um, in, in in whichever way. Um, but yeah, we, I, I think that's interesting. To me, that is James Stewart and Hitchcock uh, dialogue. So it just, to me, it feels like, oh, this is starting out as another... James, uh, Hitchcock film with James Stewart in it and mm. so I it does work for me to sort of like him but I do find James Stewart generally likeable I, I think that it, that it does
1: may also rely I mean he almost always did play unambiguously good guys
0: yes, so, exactly. absolutely.
1: so I think on that basis you, um, as we talked about in a few things before it relies a bit on the audience expects he's going to be a good guy therefore it doesn't have to go the film doesn't have to go to trouble to establish that he is a good guy
0: I agree, and therefore doesn't perhaps doesn't uh, try as hard as it might to you to convince you <laughs> that he is one. Um, but then, okay.
1: then his his old mate uh, offers him a job. I want you to yes. follow my wife. No, no, no,
0: not like that. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, convince. Well, he doesn't convince him, but he tells him of his fears. Uh, frankly, kind of ludicrous fears that she's been possessed by this spirit of, um, uh, an old, um. Well, he doesn't uh, even know at this point. Well, in, he did. Uh, so well, he does say, I think my wife's been uh, possessed by this, um, this creature. Um, and Scotty doesn't believe him for a minute, but thinks he'll follow her. But I, I have to admit, I, although I watched that scene and he does say, um, I think she's possessed uh I'd kind of forgotten because then we follow I don't very... think the
1: film ever s- expects us to take that idea seriously
0: no uh and but I'd sort of forgotten it, and the reason I forgot it is because then there follows a very long series of him tailing he is the worst guy at tailing in the world well. <laughs> he just he's like 30 feet behind her in the same car he makes no effort whenever she goes in somewhere he gets out and goes in instead of like sitting in the car and noting it down so it's a very real chance she's going to come out and meet him and say mm. aren't you the guy who was here but somehow she doesn't i mean I, I, out, I do love those 50s land barges but you know <laughs> <laughs> i mean it's it's a nice tour of san francisco yeah um, And it may well be that the whole time she was thinking, God, he's terrible at this, Um, because it turns out uh, as we find out later that she knew he was tailing her all along. Um, But he just... just, For someone who's supposed to be very good at his job, didn't seem to be a very good man at tailing someone.
1: But this ends up with um, uh, under Golden Gate Bridge uh, she jumps into the sea in a suicidal manner. he rescues her.
0: Uh, And this this also slight so we have this is kim novak who is this um yeah uh,
1: and from from the very first shot she is being presented as the most beautiful woman possible and uh, it reminds me of, a few weeks ago we talked about double indemnity and i was thinking of the way barbara stanwick is presented there as yes. not the most beautiful possible woman but a woman that this weak man will fall for W- yes, which I felt was the a modern film would just make her impossibly beautiful, and here, fourteen years later, is a film making the woman impossibly beautiful. Um, well, this is where it starts to. There's, there's, I mean, even even if we're supposed to see this at least partly from uh, Scotty's point of view, that restaurant scene ha- has the she she is walking out, and we get the close up headshot for so for really quite a long time, <laughs> and and his as she pauses of- for no particular reason.
0: Yes, well, to give him a good view, but yes, there was a yeah. the particular reason and he and his reaction this is where the film starts to get weird in a number of ways because I think the audience is probably aware at this point of Hitchcock's obsession with beautiful blondes um but it is I mean he is obsessed with them, and certainly, since you know he was legendary uh legendarily. Kind of addicted to them all and obsessed mm-hmm. with their appearance and this is where it starts to become a personal film, I think. And it, it speaks to a lot of Hitchcock's personal, um, obsessions. Um, and it's difficult. R- when which is doing... harder
1: for me to spot not having seen any others, but yeah.
0: Yes, exactly. So maybe this is the best one to start. but we'll, you'll, it'll be interesting to see if we watch any more, what, what you feel about the echoes, but he was, um, yeah, really was genuinely obsessed with his leading ladies, but in a very possessive way, uh, and uh, not well, only controlling as well. Controlling and as if they were a possession. Um, I mean, I don't think he divorced. Um, I, I think his wife was tolerant of this kind of weirdness, but it certainly was weird. Um, and and yeah, so well we'll get into this later in Vertigo really but yeah hmm. so she's presented as I think in Hitchcock's eyes this perfect woman um,
1: so, uh, certainly I think that's the way the film wants us to think that Scotty is seeing her yes
0: yeah and then it well I suppose we haven't really talked about the voyeuristic aspect because then he, he follows around and there's uh, there's kind of a I don't know it's not really played in any way kind of erotic or thrilling but there's something about the fact that he's just watching and there's no dialogue and they're quite lengthy scenes of him just watching her and not really saying anything um I I
1: think I I, I don't know what the intended impression is but the impression I got is that uh this, this is where I fall back on my Catholic upbringing uh <laughs> No really. Uh, As so often you do it. They basically he's indulging his obsession with her. Yes. While he is doing the job. Um what the the way I was brought up is the the idea of an occasion of sin, if if you think that you know that if you have a temptation, you do not dwell on the temptation and think about oh it would be great if but I'm not going to. Because the yes. more you do that the more you're normalizing thinking about it and the closer you are to actually doing it.
0: Well, in a way this film, yeah, you're right, this film is sort of an object lesson of how that might happen. Yes, he starts off presumably telling himself, "Well, this is my job." Um, mm. you know. So, it just so happens that I'm staring at this beautiful blonde all day, but uh, I've got it if someone's paying me to do it. Um, but it it creeps over the line into obsession, and that's where it starts to get weird. You know, then we're hitting into but this is what Hitchcock spends his day doing is voyeuristically staring at these blondes, and I think he is this like becomes a personal film for him i think he is trying to explain his obsession um to the audience it's not so clear here but i think with the rest of the film that becomes more mm. obvious so she drops in the golden gate um uh, in san francisco bay um he uh jumps in and rescues her um that's kissing. <laughs> <laughs> this is um this gets quite creepy as well. So he takes it back to. His, he doesn't take it to a hospital or anything like that. Takes it back to his apartment, completely. Yes, I, I, I,
1: I wrote down. Take it to a hospital. Why on earth would I do that? <laughs>
0: yes. Um, takes all her clothes off uh, to dry them out. Of course, takes all the stuff out of her hair, um, and then. And I don't know. That's. I don't know. This is a, where I have some difficulty. I don't know if this is just. 50s attitude, but I don't think so. I think in the 50s, this would have been pretty weird. Um, but you're,
1: I I think it matters how we see it, because if as a contemporary, contemporaneous audience, we, we had thought, hang on, this is a bit weird, but she seems to be going along with it anyway. That would be a clue. Whereas if we think, oh, well, that's quite a normal thing to do, then it's, it's not a clue.
0: Yes, exactly. Yeah. Um, and also I think the fact that it's, that it's James Stewart. Uh, you're probably supposed to think, well, it's probably okay if it's James. If it had been Peter Laurie doing this, <laughs> <laughs> you might have had some different opinions about what was happening. Oh, you know,
1: with the, with the light behind you, you almost look like a boy. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Another line that could not have got past the production code. <laughs>
0: <laughs> oh goodness. Um, that's it. Uh, that's put a whole different complexion on the film. But anyway, she takes it. In her stride... So this is uh, Kim Novak, who didn't do... She's still alive, Kim Novak, um, I gather, um, which is lovely uh, for a film from the 50s. Um, but she hadn't done a ton before this and didn't do a lot of uh really um, uh, bigger film. Not to the, the point of James Stewart, which is often the way. They're um, Hitchcock's girls, and I hate to use that, but they are a bit like Bond girls in the sense that they often... Uh, are stunning, incredible in one film, and then they're never sort of used again. They're kind of used a bit and then thrown away.
1: Yeah, I mean, she she started a film career in '54, and she she did have quite a few big films before this um, Picnic, Man with the Golden Arm, Pal Joey, none of which I've seen, but they they were no. big big at the time. Um, next film, I think the next film she did after this also with Stuart was Bell Book and Candle, the '58 version.
0: Oh. Oh, I like that one I forgot um,
1: but by 66 so only 12 years off, years after she started acting she basically retired she'd
0: well, done the sixties, then and but, her presumably being in her 30s or 40s by then pretty much in the 60s as a Hollywood actress
1: yeah the on the, the other period. hand it's uh, she, she retired while she was still a draw rather than eeky it out to the end
0: so, anyway she uh, is, either
1: she got paid a lot
0: or <laughs> whatever She's I mean uh, uh Kim Novak is a much better actor I think than James Stewart in the set you know she has two roles to play here they're very distinct to the point where I wasn't if I hadn't known and certainly the first time I saw this film spoilers for the later film but um uh I genuinely thought they were different people mm. um so it surprised me she she not just she looks different but she has different mannerisms and everything so yeah. I do think she is a very good um it, it's character. not
1: just the very good makeup
0: job it's she does she genuinely appears to be a different person. Yes, yeah. Um, Turns out she's not. But again, (laughs) more of that and on. She, she, um, uh, well, she copes very well with the fact that she's woken up naked in some guy's apartment, (laughs) partially because, presumably, that was the plan all along.
1: Yeah, this was the point at which I was saying, look, Scotty, as as far as you know, this woman is married to your friend. I know it's 1958, but...
0: (laughs) Well, I think, I don't know. As you say, it's set up in a inconclusive way because he kind of behaves totally normally and because he doesn't, I guess, rape her, then it seems like he's behaving honourably, but in every other way, he's kind of violating a lot of things that he shouldn't be. Um, uh, it, it, it's, um. I mean, also I don't... we don't,
1: we don't know what arrangement you have with Midge, but she certainly doesn't seem happy about it.
0: No, no. <laughs> uh, I, I I don't know if we're if this is us supposed to think. Hang on, James Stewart's not quite as good as he is in other films, um, or if this is still supposed to be oh he's all right he's just done the honourable thing. <laughs> but uh, I'm going to charitably read it as this is the first inclination that there is something wrong with um, Scotty beyond uh, beyond his um, his acrophobia that there is something a bit weird and obsessive about him. Yeah. That's how I'm going to read it. Uh, no, or I think that's that I think
1: that's I think that's a fair reading. I don't think the film contradicts it. Mm. Um, as as often with the films regarded as great, it does leave a lot open for for the viewer to interpolate.
0: Yes, and Hitchcock did know what he was doing by this point. Um, yeah,
1: which is I, I I do want to drop back a bit. Um, we've got a couple of uh, interviews with Gavin, that the 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 friend, the the husband of this woman. Yes. Um, Tom Helmore here, very much the old school Englishman. Yes, he was much more often, in fact, a sort of poor man's Terry Thomas, he do, doing the doing the comic oh, roles. Yeah. But this, is, is, that, this yeah. is a serious one for him. Um, that first interview, in particular, there, there's some. I don't know. I mean, if it were anybody else, they would say it's sloppy camera work. But because it's Hitchcock, I assume there's a reason that we've got all these cuts. You know, we're here, we jump over there, we jump back to here. In mid-sentence, not even cutting between people as they say their lines. Is that supposed to suggest that uh, Scotty is having a hard time keeping track of stuff? Uh, Because nothing else does. Is it just, you know, this is a tense situation for him? I don't
0: know. That's a good question. Um, Yeah, I'm I'm not versed enough in film lore. I mean, it may just be that Hitchcock thought this is a very heavy exposition scene. I'm going to jazz it up a bit with some camera movements. But I agree with you, I, Hitchcock rarely did anything, he, you know, he was a creature of cinema, he didn't mm. do things without a reason for it, but I agree, I, I'm a little mystified as to what that was. But um, anyway,
1: okay. so the, the the what would you call it, the the first climax of the film, I guess, uh, eventually, uh, as as far as the um, official narrative goes at least, Madeleine commits suicide. She Jump, jumps off a tower at an old mission.
0: Yeah, so she convinces Scotty that what her husband said is true, that she has been possessed by this spirit of her her great-grandmother, and that she is drawn to suicide by this spirit, even though she wants to stay with Scotty – and that's what she does, as far as he knows. And she conveniently does it at the top of a tower, which he can't get up because of his um, terrifying fear of heights. And we have... Is this the first use of the rear, the, the dolly zoom? I don't cinema? think
1: it's the first time it was used, but it's certainly used quite a lot here. I mean, it's in the initial sequence, look, looking down onto the street where the cop's going to yeah. plummet to his death. Uh It's definitely here in the tower. Um It It was, I think, the one that made it very much... Hey, look, filmmakers, here is a thing you can do.
0: Yes. I and mean, I mean, I do find it effective, but as you say, having, we've had it in a few films of Ribbon and Memes now. The, I first encountered it in Jaws when mm. Brody's on the beach, um, and, uh, he realises the shark's there. Um, I, I, it's come to the point now, I've seen enough of it, that I think, like you said at first with Jaws, it's just a, a trick now, and I know it's a trick, so it's, it's, it's stopped becoming.
1: But again, probably at the time, it, it was unexpected, and considering also, we, we, we've got a bit of a dream-slash-nightmare sequence. Oh, yes. Which strikes me as, oh, woo, trippy man.
0: Um But, again, <laughs> it's 1958.
1: People haven't had this stuff bludgeoned into them
0: since Yeah, they that were must kids. have been bonkers at the time, because, yeah, we've seen a lot of films like that. I suppose The Big Lebowski is my most notable one, but one's full of weird scenes like that. But here, we, you know, we have mixed in animation and... um uh, 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 oh, well, yeah. Yeah. Dream uh actually logic.
1: um yeah this is john whitney um one of one of the pioneers of computer animation oh, yes. and, and this I is said... in fact computer animation um using an m five gun director
0: uh, so it's a machine computer it's, it's an, it, an analog an electronic computer. Computer, it's, computer, it's not yeah. even
1: digital um yeah it, it, it's basically cogs and wheels and he he started with this, with this war surplus piece of kit. And extended it and, and modified it. And, uh, I, th- I think his, his son said that there were about, you know, 10 different things you could tweak and uh, o- only he actually knew what most of them did. And, oh, lovely. Uh, but yeah, uh, th- th- those literature figures at the beginning in particular is ju- just the sort of thing that was set up for.
0: Okay. Oh, wow. Um,
1: but yeah, he, so he was involved in, in, in that, uh, trippy sequence as well. So yeah, Scott, Scotty has a pretty bad time. Um,
0: Yeah, he's in a sanatorium for a for a little while. Poor old Midge does her best to cheer him up. He uh cares nothing for her. Like I dunno, she's like, You don't even know I'm here, do you? I think he knows she's there, he just can't be bothered to snap out of it. And sorry, that's (laughs) that's a very fifties way of looking at it. But she's trying a bit and she clearly adores him. Um Mm. I I in a way I don't know. The film could have really played up that tragedy of of Midge, but it's just like a little sad side story. That well, uh, we'll, we'll
1: we'll come to the, we'll come back to that one if if we talk about uh, versions that were, that weren't made. Okay. Um. But yeah. So I, I'm, go- I'm going to skip skip over things a little bit. But he's still a bit obsessed with now dead Madeleine. He well, goes, I will
0: say this is a two hour film and we're about 90 minutes in by now. That, that first half is a good two mm-hmm. thirds, three quarters of the film. Yeah, it, it,
1: it certainly picks up. Um, but yeah, he, he's not in a good way. He's visiting some of the places associated with her and he meets a woman who, how do we, I, I think we have to read this as she reminds him of Madeleine.
0: Yes. Though yeah. well, she isn't. I, she, she says she isn't. He's repeatedly seen people who he's mistaken for Madeline, mm. Um and then on closer inspection, no, they're just wearing a white coat, or no, they just had a workman's helmet on and it looked yellow. Or That's not one, but it could have been. Um, but this one, as soon as he sees her in the street... Um, Unbeknownst to him, the reason he recognises her as Madeline is because she is Madeline. But to him, she strongly reminds her, and this is what I mean that she. Um, and he casually t- follows her home because that's the thing you do when you're a man. <laughs> yes, and then goes up to her apartment and tries on like the worst chat up line that I. Don't, I mean, it's just like, uh and she goes for it like, oh, what you? Re- I remind you of someone, um, uh, and then they start this very peculiar, obsessive. Love affair, really, but it's not really.
1: Yeah, he, affair. he is obsessed with making her into Madeleine. Mm. And she, as you said in the, in the quote at the start,
0: uh,
1: is apparently prepared to go along with this as, as long as he will then love her. And, um, and my, my, all right, I possibly I know more than I should or anybody should about, uh, coercive control and domestic violence and things, but my, my thought was, yeah, be red flags. Yeah. You know, it's not such a for- prize that it's worth being somebody else forever to keep him.
0: But then this is where it really starts to mix in because this is what Hitchcock did with his leading ladies, and you know if they looked the way he wanted, they could be start. They would get you know their dream. They'd be stars, um, mm-hmm. and then they were often discarded for the next beautiful girl in the next film. So it really, it, it feels. I mean, that is a a knowing thing for sure that Hitchcock is doing. He's laying his obsession bare on the screen through James Stewart. He's laying his peculiar. it feels really honest to me. Uh, (laughs) It feels weird because it's not an obsession that I share or many of us share, I guess, but knowing a bit about Hitchcock and knowing, as a lot of people would, you know, Hitchcock was one of those directors like, I guess, Tarantino that, you know, he was as famous as the stars in it Mm. um, and people knew about. And so to have this James Stewart consumed by obsession of making this woman look just basically objectifying her not giving a shit about her who she is as a person he just wants to make her what um he wants her to be that i mean that's some ah deep psychology and and knowing Hitchcock (laughs) did this with his leading ladies it just feels like he is laying his psyche bare on the screen and i think that's why people respond to it very well yeah and
1: there there's sorry uh, uh do you want to get in before we talk about the letter writing scene? Or,
0: well, uh, my only, uh, I th- which I think is fascinating as a, as a sort of a, a cinema watcher. But I, I am mindful of your kind of. I think we've said it before. Really, a film should work on its own terms without external knowledge. Mm. Um, and we maybe said that about Roma particularly. Um, and I, I think you miss a lot of the things that people think are wonderful about Vertigo if you don't know that. Um, it just becomes a slightly weird, well, we'll talk about what it is, but uh, I agree with you a film should work by itself as well as if the external knowledge deepens it, that's interesting. Anyway, sorry, yes, the letter um, writing scene. Yeah,
1: so this is, from, from a narrative point of view, very interesting because it, it it's not essentially, it wasn't in the original book. Uh, this is just about a book adaptation. I haven't, uh, as with so many of these things, I haven't read the book. I don't know how faithful this is, but in, in the book, uh, the discovery that she's, she is the same person is only right at the end. Um, right. yes, here yes. we have this letter writing scene in which she confesses everything. Uh, she, she, she was, um, Gavin's mistress. Um, uh, they conspired to basically he shoved his wife off the tower. Um, knowing that Scotty wouldn't have followed her up there.
0: Yeah, it's a, it's a set up, the whole thing. Um,
1: and a, uh, then, yes. then she tears up the letter. So, yeah, then, so we, the audience know, but
0: at this point, from Scotty's not this point We know that she's Madeline. Um, so that's
1: not was. in the book. Hitchcock put it in. Then he decided he didn't like it and dropped it out, but the um, associate producer decided it really ought to go in, and then eventually the head of studio said it has to go back in.
0: So it went in, it went. Yeah. Um, And this is how the the audience saw it. What did you feel about it? Do you you think that played its hand too early? Uh, uh, To me, I suppose the whole film isn't about the twist. So I don't think it spoils it desperately.
1: I think what's left is how interested we are in the characters. Uh, I wasn't Uh, particularly liking them, but I I was finding them interesting. So on on that level, the film succeeds. Um, I don't think it's necessary. the, The other thing it does, though, and I think this is more useful, is show how conflicted she is about it.
0: I think that is the point that they wanted it in, because... You understand her reactions. And I think it is helpful because rather than just be, as is often the case, you know, um, someone who's desperately trying to please their partner, even though they don't understand why. In this case, she does understand why, and that gives her more of a, a strength. You feel like she's less of a fool for going down this route because mm. you understand, actually, she does love him and she... Uh, maybe they can recreate that relationship and maybe that is worth risking all this for.
1: Yeah, I, I, I'm i going to diverge a little bit here into Roger's murder corner. Uh, <laughs> I mean, for a start, the plot does rely on him never seeing the body up close.
0: Yes, which they couldn't guarantee. It also relies on her husband. Now, did he presumably kill her up there? Otherwise, he carried a corpse up the, up the tower... Mm. I, it's, it doesn't make a lot of sense, does it? Because also, um, he decides when they're going to go to this uh, villa. Um, he says, we'll go there this afternoon. So she has to then, what, ring up the husband and say, right, the game's on, get your wife, kill her, we're going to bring her up to the top of this mm. the, the The whole plot doesn't make a lot of sense, really.
1: And uh, the thing that I was curious about from a logistical point of view is, di- did he decide to kill his wife by this means, then recruit somebody to to play her double and then, then take her on as his mistress as well? Or did he have the mistress who already looks like his wife? And that, that's its own kind of psychological thing. <laughs> yes. But, but um... also, if your mistress is a conspirator with you in a murder, maybe you shouldn't dump her. Because <laughs> although there is this suggestion that, you know, that they're both in trouble if if either of them blabs... No, really, the, the, if if you say I, I was an accessory before the fact in the, in this murder and I'm prepared to turn to state's evidence, you're probably going to do all right out of it.
0: Yes, there's a reason um, one murder can turn into two or three, because you can't trust people after you've been complicit in a murder together.
1: And, and you know, Gavin has already killed one gorgeous blonde, why not two? <laughs> but anyway...
0: As far as a murder mystery goes, it's no knives out. Let's put it that way. It doesn't make a lot. It's pure cinematic nonsense. Yeah. It just doesn't, doesn't really hold up. To but it. anyway, e-
1: eventually the, um, it, it becomes clear that, uh, yeah, all right, Scotty has wised up, mm. uh, has realized this is the same woman, um, and then ins- insists on them going into the tower again to to try to nervous <sighs> shock his vertigo into going away. The 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 line I wanted to give him was at that point the the proper obsessive line is this is where Madeleine died and now this is where you're going to die.
0: But <laughs> <Yes>. no. <laughs> no because he didn't intend to kill her. He didn't want her to die, but it turns out um the plot has other ideas.
1: <laughs> well, yeah, that that was the thing that really struck me about this ending, yeah. They 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 have it out.
0: Yeah.
1: Uh, everything is out in the open, and my feeling was at this point, you know, the the universe, as personified by the director, realises that that that, that <laughs> there is no actual
0: ending to this scene, <laughs> yeah. and so she is startled and falls out of the window and dies. Startled by a by a nun, of course. Uh, maybe that takes you back to your Catholic upbringing, but uh, one uh, lot of nuns in it. Okay, that doesn't. Uh, yeah, yeah. It, it reminds me a bit of. Um, which probably wasn't what Hitchcock was going for, the end of, um, I've forgotten what the name of the Wretched Star Wars film was now, but where um, Luke and Leia's mum basically has to die because of the plots and that's it. <laughs> that means we have huge advanced technology, oh, but I, uh, we can't handle childbirth, which I may tell you something about the misogyny of the stuff Well, race. this technology
1: was all designed by men for men. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh,
0: but, yeah, she, she has to die because the plot... I mean, it could have ended with her just sobbing in a corner and him looking distressed. That might have worked for this, but, no, she has to die. And then he... I don't know. I don't know what we left with there. She, he briefly had back what he wanted, but she fell out of a window again. So, um, mm.
1: And that's the end of the film. But his, his fear of heights is killed, so, you know, that's good. Uh,
0: yeah, that's true. Now he's got a fear of nuns. Um, yeah, <laughs> there was, there, a, there was
1: um, a, a coda written for this which was... Um, I I think it was one of those bits where it it was put in as a swap to the production code and then then it was used as a trading thing for for other things later. Okay. Um, But there was originally going to be in Midge's apartment, uh, she's listening to the radio talking about Gavin being chased across Europe and obviously being caught for this murder. Uh, Okay but as it is I, I can choose to believe that Midge decided I'm done with this guy I'm going to go, go off and meet somebody interesting instead as someone who's actually nice um yeah that's yeah. a nice thing I mean I know uh, it's 1958
0: but <laughs> they've got to be out there somewhere so this that's that's the film um and it's I don't know I mean there's lots of themes it touches on without being expli- you know it touches on voyeurism touches on obsession um uh you know touches on morality as well, but um these feel peculiarly hitchcockian themes that he was trying to uh it feels like an extended therapy session in some ways <laughs> um are and it's supposed to be his finest work um i I disagree personally. I I, I there, there were bits bit I thought
1: worked film. very well. I mean the the yeah. the visual approach of it and I know to some extent that's the, that's the director of photography and indeed the designer who who the Edith Head is is a major part of the design influence on this film.
0: Okay, yes. Um, but that is uh, that also stems that you know Hitchcock was an an, an But in, in,
1: in this case particularly because it was Hitchcock I it, it's fair to say that he he would have had a big influence on both of those things as well. Yes. And in those sense, in, in, in what you might call the filmic sense, it works a lot better than in the narrative sense for me.
0: Yes, I absolutely agree with you there. It's a, it's a good piece of film, um, cause he's very competent at this sort of thing. As a narrative in and of itself, it's a bit nonsensical and I'm not sure what we're supposed to learn from. I mean, it does touch on some really interesting, it goes in interesting ways, particularly the obsession, you know, the, the scene in the department store where he's just like, he just doesn't care about her mm. um uh, he gives no shit he just wants her to be what he wants her, and that's very deliberate i don't think there's any kind of uh excusing him you know she's clearly distressed by this she's but she 's trying her best um mm. but he he doesn't care he's not in a you know she comes back almost right, but even then she 's got hair in the wrong way, and he sends her back out to do it again um and it's it's an interesting.
1: Yeah, this is basically, I want my doll to be the way I want it.
0: Yeah, and there's a lot of, the films don't often do that, particularly not by directors who are guilty of doing the same thing, and I, I think it is, it's very interesting and very, uh I, I mean, it does a number of cliches that I find, you know, the, the cliche of, oh, I was meant to... um uh, I, I was meant to con you and I ended up falling in love with you and I, I, I think her character and I think, and, I, and
1: I was conning you all the time
0: anyway and yeah yes they're, they're, I, I her character ultimately comes off... I, she, she's a much more interesting character as, as Judy, I think, hmm. than Madeline, who we find out never was really a character. Well, I mean, she um,
1: she's set up to be... Uh, that, that, that's where it's slightly safe to me. She is set up to be the obsession figure. Yes. And so I can believe that the guy for whom she was specifically set up to become an obsession does, in, you know, does indeed find her an obsession.
0: And it explains her kind of aloofness and peculiar... Otherworldliness, because yeah, as you say, she's designed to be that way. and it Turns out Judy's just great at doing that, and and then she's much more human and humane as this other character, much more emotional. Mm. I think she does a great job, Kim Novak. Um, yeah, James Stewart. Uh, it's it's interesting at subverting his good guy role, and certainly by the end of the film, you're more. I I feel more scared for Judy you know, you don't know what he's going to do because mm. he's, he's clearly in the grip of this obsession. Um, but as a narrative... It reminds
1: me of something somebody said many years ago about sexual fetishes, which is, you know, it's a problem when you're thinking about the idea of, you know, the handcuffs, the jar of honey, whatever, more than the actual handcuffs and the jar of honey
0: and whatever. <laughs> right, yes, yeah, okay. Um Yes, uh, and he's he's clearly in the grip of that kind of... Fetish obsession. So I think it's an interesting study, and Hitchcock clearly had his demons that he was thrashing out as a narrative in and of itself. It's unsatisfying. Is that with that? Is that fair to you? I
1: think so. Yeah. I mean, I, I've said before that one of the things I've got from from doing this is that you you can sometimes lose the things I, I normally go to stories for, than the, the, the yeah. narrative, the characters. And still be a good film in a way that I don't think it's possible to be a good book
0: without those things. It'll be interesting to read the story because this feels like pure cinematic nonsense to me <laughs> in, a, <laughs> in a way that I don't know how well that would work as a book. Maybe the book is its own kind of um, written nonsense, but I, I'm sure Hitchcock cinemaed it up a bit. I mean, what, <laughs> what, what this... Uh, that's definitely a phrase. Um, I mean, this makes me think that Hitchcock was very good at what he was doing. And here he was trying to do something a bit different to what he normally did. Um, uh, But because I don't share those obsessions, because I'm also interested in the narrative and I don't, uh, it's nice to see a film from frankly, a toxic male by Mm. all accounts, um, exploring toxic masculinity a bit. Uh, So I find that interesting but I don't know quite uh, where it's coming out on that or what it's trying to say. Um, but I, so I find all the themes interesting. It but was as
1: a t- mi- mixed reviews um, hmm. when it first came out. Um, quite a lo- I, I found this by uh, Archer Winston in the New York Post. And he said, let's admit it right now, Hitchcock's services are so smooth, he thinks he can get away with murder in the logic and realism departments. If and you want okay, to tear yes. Vertigo apart, it rips easily. On the other hand, there's no denying that James Stewart's un acting carries a heavy air of reality <laughs> into the picture, and Kim Novak's somnambulistic behaviour called for by the script is something she can do to perfection. Mm-hmm. It's doubtful that Vertigo can take equal rank with the best of the Hitchcock studies. It has too many holes, but it assays high in visual confectionery of place, person, and celluloid wiles. And yeah, I, th- I, th- I think yeah. that's more or less agreeing with what we've just been saying.
0: That's broadly where you are about the sounds of it. And I think I'm there it, I It's find great fun
1: to watch as long as you're not expecting realistic behaviour and so on.
0: Well, one of the reasons I wanted uh, to try Vertigo, I thought it might be the one with the most interesting discussion, which I think it, it has been an interesting sort of bounce around this stuff, but it's not my favourite and I haven't watched it for years. I, I had a bit of a Hitchcock obsession. Um, to, to speak of obsession, a, a while ago, so I, I hoovered up as many as I uh, as I could before I moved on to my next obsession. Um, <laughs> and Vertigo wasn't uh, it was was low down on my list of things. And rewatching it, yeah, it's, it's interesting to watch it a bit more versed in cinematic language and a bit more versed in the character of Hitchcock himself. But it's still first and foremost as a narrative, it doesn't quite work.
1: Yeah, anyway. I, th- I think one has to appreciate it as a visual thing. Um yes. looking at the sight and sound uh, critics poll, which they do every ten years, uh it, it didn't get in at all uh until uh, it, it was in the sixty two and seventy two listed but it wasn't in the top ten. Uh eighty two it got in at seventh. Ninety two it's in fourth. Two thousand two it's in second. Twenty twelve it's in first. Uh for both but crime not and Citizen it not
0: Citizen Kane off its it,
1: Yeah. In in, in twenty
0: twelve. We shall have to. Have you seen? Cecil will have to try that at some point. Uh, Many anyway. years ago, but yeah. Okay. Ah, um, uh, okay. As so as, um, is
1: this, this is definitely much later appreciation.
0: Yes, we've had some films that were immediately appreciated, and then went off the boil. Um, uh, like surprisingly, like High Road to China, which was <laughs> very well regarded at the time, um, or very did very well. Maybe not very well regarded. Um, so this definitely had a, a reappraisal and was thought of as a lesser Hitchcock then at the time, and then became his greatest work over time.
1: And I've got to ask you this one. Is it noir?
0: Well, I've read this as a question, is it noir? Uh Well, going off the old pornography definition, <laughs> I don't quite know it, but I know it when I see it. It doesn't feel like noir to me. Personally, and it's not just the brightly. We had Chinatown, which does feel noir, and that's brightly lit. Hmm. Um, it just—I mean, it has flawed characters, but uh, an fatale It doesn't, mm.
1: in the same sort of way that *Double Indemnity* has the elements of it, but it's—it's—it's—it's it's, it's, it's n- it's not in the middle of the stream. Put it that way.
0: Yes, Uh I—I I, I don't. Not to me. How do you feel about that?
1: It, it's very difficult to find ways to say that Double Indemnity is, and I think it is, and this isn't.
0: <laughs> um, so I,
1: I, I'm going to go with the landmarks principle. It, it, it's not so much that a thing is or it isn't. you know, can you see the landmarks of that genre from from where you're standing? And okay, maybe maybe yes. you can see the landmarks of multiple genres, and maybe some of them are way over on the horizon, and some of them are up close.
0: I suppose it feels a bit too Hitchcocky to me. Um, <laughs> it's just—it's re- it really does feel very Hitchcock um, in a lot of ways.
1: It—it seems to me that the the, the the classic noir would would have the impossibly gorgeous woman, but that that you know, yeah, 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 Philip Archer or Sam Spade, his distinctive characteristic is that he is not thrown into obsession with this woman just because she is incredibly gorgeous.
0: Right. Yeah. He can resist it. Yeah. I, maybe that's it. Yeah. He's too.
1: Uh, and in *Double Indemnity*, it's only because he's weak that he becomes obsessed. Well, I was. I was we're, about not, we're not he's, supposed he's, to think of Scotty as weak. I think.
0: No. Um, no, I think you're right. Uh, uh, he's, yeah. I don't know. That's a tricky one, and ultimately, I guess, a meaningless question. <laughs> but it's yes, an interesting one to, to bat around. Um, it doesn't feel like it, but I, I absolutely I take your landmark point. That's good.
1: Is it a masterpiece? Oh,
0: I've tossed this one around a bit.
1: There are bits I definitely like about it. Um, Yeah. I think for me there's enough that just doesn't work. Yeah. I I think it would need to have worked for me on at least the character or the narrative levels, preferably both.
0: I think I'm with you, really. I greatly appreciate the kind of honesty of Hitchcock here in, in just showing his psyche. Did and people I, know I,
1: that at the time? I don't know.
0: I don't know, but it's clearly come about since that that was, um, that was what was happening. I mean, you don't have to know much about Hitchcock, uh, ultimately when you read anything about it to realize, oh, he's saying something about himself here. Mm. Um, but I don't, and, and much as I appreciate, and I love honesty in art and I think it's fascinating, um, but I'm afraid as a narrative, it fails for me and there's not quite enough otherwise to push it up above that um not even midge um (laughs) (laughs) uh in that there may be films in fact there are definitely films that have less to say about the human condition that i have thought were masterpieces
1: i mean this This is is, still a film i would recommend that people watch
0: yes it's very interesting film and certainly as a cinema cinema file but as a masterpiece for me personally, I won't be watching it again in a hurry. I didn't watch it for years and years. I won't be in a hurry to watch it again. I'm, uh, and uh, I, I suppose my other thing is, did it move me emotionally? Uh, no, not quite. No, I, I, I was done.
1: watching it as a technical thing. Yeah. Here, like, here, is, the, here is this nice trick. Oh, look, here, here's that bit of parallelism or whatever. Rather than, oh dear, I hope he manages to do the thing.
0: Yeah, it doesn't quite work as a tragedy because it doesn't, it feels too contrived for that. Uh, and you don't quite, I I really did care about Judy and I I almost felt nervous (laughs) when he was pulling her up the stairs. Um, but no, it doesn't, doesn't quite work on that level for me either. So, uh, technically fantastic, fascinating subject matter, but I think ultimately a bit too contrived and a bit too holy. As in the sense it's full of holes, uh, in a narrative sense, um for me.
1: Well, ar- artificial in the modern sense.
0: Yes, it a is, bit yeah, like. Um,
1: you, you you say that in the fifteen hundreds, and that something is artificial, and people you're you're praising it because it's a work of artifice.
0: But here, right, here
1: but here I think it is too obviously a work of artifice.
0: a, a work of cinematic artifice, in the same hmm. way that the sixth sense just doesn't work as a narrative no, doesn't make any sense it only works as a film um, and mm. i think vertigo might sort of it's a much much better film than the sixth sense i <laughs> um, <laughs> but it's uh, i think it has a similar problem in that it's too well it is it is a work of artifice in that it is constructed but the the joins are a bit too well that's the thing any
1: any any work of fiction must be a work of
0: artifice unless you're you know lightly fictionalizing a
1: thing that actually happened yes um but it shouldn't feel as if
0: it is. No, it's not quite Mulholland Drive. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I think it's got more interesting things to say, but yeah. Uh, an interesting discussion. I enjoyed it. But um, but no, not a mouse to be, sadly. I feel like I should say Vertigo is, and maybe I'm not allowed to be a cinematophile, <laughs> if, if I'm, this could be my controversial opinion, except it sounds like you feel much the same as me, so it can't yeah, be that
1: I controversial. Mean, I don't think we're being deliberately contrarian. There, there, there may be stuff that we're missing, and, uh, I, so. I believe we have a listener or two. If, if, if you think we're <laughs> wrong, please write in, tell us what we are missing. And yes, it, it, may just, why, it may just, it may just be that we have black clinkered souls, and that's fair enough,
0: but. Or you, we've utterly missed the point, but yeah, let us know. And we didn't hate it, but, uh, it's not as, Good for us, as it has been for a lot of critics in the past. Well, I think that about wraps it up for the upper shoulder. Of oh, I've gone Sean Connery, not James Stewart. <laughs> <laughs> um, that wraps it up for us. Oh, I will say, it does have the word doohickey in, which gets it up a few points in my uh, in my estimation. Uh, anyone
1: can become obsessed with the past with a, with
0: a background like that. <laughs> my background is uh, is not one wealth obsessing over there we go we will return and on <laughs>